Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. If you enjoy what we do here on the show and you think it's worth your hard-earned money, you can support the show via Patreon. Just a $1 donation gets you access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and regular episodes before everybody else. If you donate at an elevated level, you get even more bonus content. A digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, and a sticker from our Teespring store. Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Kurdish Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today. And now back to the show. Welcome to the Lines of My Donkeys podcast. I'm Joe, and with me today is is not Liam. Uh, it's Romeo and Anthony from Ukraine Without Hype podcast. And uh, how you doing, fellas? Hey, not too bad. Not too bad. I'm doing all right. I'm on a bureaucracy voyage right now, halfway across the country. So <laughs> outstanding. There's always like a special layer of hell when it comes to bureaucracy in some of the places that we live. Um, I think I've talked before about like dealing with the citizenship office here, and it's something of like a like an engineered nightmare that like it it could only exist in like a parody of uh, like if you were reading like a fiction novel with like world building and they're purposefully trying to make a bureaucracy that's uh, like comically insane. Like that's the only way it makes sense. It's actually the U.S. Yeah, yeah. He's doing embassy, embassy. Um, oh hell yeah! Which is just yeah. like in normal times, it's good. It's fun enough. Um, fun meaning the opposite of what that word typically means. But during war, <laughs> it's oh, even yeah. more exciting. Yeah. So the U.S. embassy fucked off like before the war started, and so they set up shop in Poland. But they told me to do my stuff. They would like send their consulate officers into the country, but wouldn't tell me where, wouldn't tell me when. Just meet me in this city on Wednesday and like <laughs> give you more info. Like I'm like bridge of spies. Like we're gonna pass you a note. Like it's right. I, I don't know. It's You're it's like OPSEC stuff. Drop. I don't know why it's so <clears throat> precisely. Go to the city. You'll see. A, you'll see a mailbox marked with chalk. You'll you'll get your paperwork there. I'm I'm so happy I haven't had to deal with the American embassy here since I've moved here. I hope I never do. Uh, well, I will in like three years. My passport expires and I have to go get a new one. I'm really not looking forward to that already. It was actually pretty simple here because like luckily my passport shit happened like a couple of months before the war started and they just it was during COVID. So they just like gave me the number of a courier company and they're like, call these people. Give them your passport and like 200 bucks in cash. And then in a week, they, the courier company calls me, drives over and gives me a fresh passport. And I'm like, you know what? This may not feel official, but it damn well feels efficient. That feels like you could like, uh, yeah, we, we deliver passports and also drugs. Uh. <laughs> yeah, right? Like I literally well, I did just my... gave my passport to some random dude who pulled up in a fucking town car along with 200 bucks <laughs> in cash. Like... I guess. I mean, I did it through the embassy, so I guess it's legit. My passport looks real enough. <laughs> That's all that matters. I actually renewed my U- Ukraine residency stuff literally weeks before the bomb started dropping. So I got that in right under right under the wire. Nice. Um, so 
I brought you guys here today uh, because it's been a while since. Uh, so this show's kind of well known, and we've been cited a few times whenever anybody's been talking about uh, the war in Ukraine. Um, we're like, oh, you should go listen to this series because the Russians just keep doing this forever. And I have a hard time arguing with that. Um, we we talk about Russia a fair amount on the show because much like the United States, the UK, uh, France, whoever, any project of armed expansion and imperialism, it's always full of colossal fuck-ups. And while we can't as a show or an audience do anything to really stop these massive powers from churning through human flesh like a thresher through wheat and a never-ending conquest of money, power, and pointless nationalistic pride, we can at least laugh at them when they trip over their own dicks directly into the history books in the dumbest way possible. Uh, so we do have that going for us. Now, this brings us to the, back to the Russian Imperial era and the hilariously botched Kievan campaign of 1839, uh, where Russia lost a battle, which was not a battle, to Winter and a group of Kazakh camel hustlers who never even fired a shot at them. Uh, so it's kind of unique in how... Very, very stupid. This all ends up. Have you guys ever heard about this before? I have not. Um, I don't actually know where Kievan is. Where is Kievan? Um, it, it's uh, so the the Khanate of Kiva was located in what today would be like considered Turkestan, um, like uh, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, like the area that turned into those. Um, but it was you know the era of like the Great Game where Russia was trying to expand uh, into the steppe. And uh, kind of ran into a wall of themselves. Uh, they lost to themselves more than they lost military campaigns during this time, which is always solid. Um, yeah, I think I'm more of the history dude between the two of us. Uh, I'm pretty familiar with Imperial Russian fuckery in Eastern Europe in the 19th century. And like less so the Caucasus, but then Central Asia is kind of a, a blank spot, for, which is I feel like it is for a lot of people. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty fair to to say that it's kind of a bl- uh, blind spot for most people uh like the things that stick out is you know like uh uh the english invading afghanistan most people know about that um because that happened around the same time most people don't know russia how russia exactly conquered central asia and for you know also the caucasus normally like people think of eastern europe all the time uh because it's closer to them i suppose uh but uh not so much central asia and uh, this military disaster has its roots in the Russian thirst for that sweet, sweet expansion to the steppes. Like I already said, it's uh, an area generally called Turkestan. Uh, it's Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, uh, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan. It was a fucking massive area, and they wanted to control it all. Um, it was called Turkestan because, when you know it, the inhabitants of the area spoke various dialects of Turkish la- Turkic languages. Um, this also includes Uyghurstan, administered today by China under the name Xinjiang, a place where to- nothing bad totally ever happened. Those are just Reformation technical schools for real, bro. Um, now, yeah, hence East Russia's- Turkestan. Yeah, yeah. Um, East Turkestan. At the time, at, at the time they called it Uyghurstan. Um, I don't know how the name changed exactly. Um, But uh, Russian expansion into the area is pretty slow um, because there wasn't exactly a lot of things to take over. Like normally uh, when in in normal in in normal imperialism, they go in, they topple the local government, the chief, the Khan, whoever, and they replace it with someone of their own. But there wasn't really a central government to take over. So it made taking it over a little bit slower. 
they tried to play local tribes and cons against one another, slowly leveraging their power. Uh, for example, in the age of Catherine the Great, she would get Muslims from the area to attend Russian schools, teach them how to read and write in Russian, convert them to Christianity, and then dub them civilizing agents, uh, release them back into the steppes to influence their tribes to be more pro-Russian, as well as be literal agents of Russian intelligence, um, in case that doesn't sound familiar at all. Doesn't ring a bell. I mean, just absolutely no idea what you're referring to. Absolutely no historical uh analogies for for this happening for russia doing this kind of thing ever has occurred before in history just like this apparent military loss i've been told on twitter by very um self-proclaimed intelligent independent thinkers that russia has not lost a military confrontation in 1000 years i feel like there's a couple old guys in afghanistan that have something to say about that <laughs> <laughs> it's like um russians moved here uh quite a bit after the war started and they're like why isn't everybody speaking russian like i wonder can't can't put a fucking finger on a homie Did you hear that story of a, a taxi driver in georgia um he picked up two russians from the airport and some ukrainian song was playing on the radio they asked him to um like switch or turn it off he refused uh so then they started complaining so he drove them 50 kilometers out into the countryside and then dumped them. Yeah, he was arrested, I mean, but they yeah, let him go. Um, and <laughs> yeah, like that's the that's vaguely ended. kidnapping, sure. <laughs> I mean, he got charged with kidnapping, but the like the jury completely like vindicated him. <laughs> there was a unanimous not guilty plea. Like, How I've much of a fucking like asshole do you have to be for a court of law to get together and be like, yeah, he kidnapped those people, but we're fine with it. <laughs> <laughs> well that's the that's the russian world <laughs> now much like uh like the cultural imperialism that uh the russian empire imposed on you know everywhere there was pushback to this it didn't work um and rather than you know looking inwards uh, as imperial powers are wont to do, and realizing that, hmm, maybe these Kazakhs really don't want to be Russian, um, and realizing that forcing a different culture onto people uh, at the barrel of a gun is morally uh, corrupt, the Russians decide that, uh, no, the only reason why the Kazakhs rejected Christianity and, and you know, the sweet fucking stupid alphabet uh, was uh, they just weren't ready for the enlightenment of Russian culture yet. <laughs> I mean, white man's burden, like not a like, white man's I mean, burden. Quite literally, yeah. I don't I know. Mean, why it's, 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 it's the, the Russian Slav burden. Why do you think they squat so low? They have to carry all these things on their back. <laughs> <laughs> I like, legitimately don't get why anyone is ever surprised by when, like, we, as in people who used to be subjects of the Russian Empire, start telling the West, like, oh, yeah, so the Russians didn't imperialism. Everyone's like, what? No, but they're literally a European power. Like, all, yeah. especially during the Tsarist age, they would send all their kids to fucking Paris. They all spoke French. They all read Enlightenment and Renaissance philosophers. Like, it's the exact same fucking intellectual history. Yeah, Why I mean, this is like 20 years after Waterloo. So it's like, you know, like it's their big uh, invitation to the European theater. Like, this is right then. Uh, yeah. Not so to like, mention all the other European states were saying the exact same shit and doing the exact same thing. Why in God's name would you think Russia would be any different? I don't know. It's it's like during um uh, when 
the era when uh, Napoleon invaded Russia, like the operative language of the Russian military was fucking French. Like it yeah, wasn't even it wasn't even Russian. Not speak Russian because it was considered to be a peasant language. They needed translators to literally speak to their subjects. <laughs> it's funny, like uh, way like you know, a thousand years ago, it was actually kind of like that here as well, where uh, Armenian nobility spoke Greek and they barely spoke Armenian. <laughs> but you know, it was a little different. Um, now. Kind of like uh, when you're playing a fucked up game of civilization, these tactics uh, didn't work and they, they changed their goal. Uh, or they cha- their goal remained the same, but they changed their tactics. In 1822, Russian imperialism on the steppe made the jump from a culture victory to a military victory. Yeah, I'm using a fucking civilization analogy. I'm sorry. Um, following the publication of the regulations of the Siberian Kyrgyz by a uh, Russian imperial reformer, and I'm using the term reformer very loosely here, Mikhail Speransky, um, Russian expansion into the region changed from uh, attempting to influence people with culture uh, to just violence if they didn't submit, uh, which is something that happens quite frequently. Um, uh, this came into the form of uh, a huge array of military forts, Mostly, uh, and these would be outposts of the Russian government. They would collect taxes on uh, people from the steppe from these forts, as well as like if you broke the law. And the law in this case is basically not doing what they say. Uh, they would also enforce Russian justice on the steppe. Um, now, in order to support this, they would buy out local elites like Kazakh tribe le- tribal leaders. Um, and try to get them into the, the buy into the Russian system. They gave a lot of them nobility um, to try to lift them up and uh, and and use them as their chosen uh, colonial administrators. Effectively, that's basically how it was in Ukraine. They took the Cossack officer class and said, "Some of you can be actual nobles, while the rest of you will have to become serfs." Yeah, like it, it's pretty common. Um, it's like uh, kind of like a through line through most of imperial history. Like, uh, we'll pick. Uh, you, you're you're our chosen people. Uh, everyone's gonna hate you in a couple of generations, and you're probably gonna die. But for now, you're gonna collect taxes for us. And the, one of the main things they want to do is regulate movement, uh, because these are mostly nomadic people. Uh, for the purposes of taking over, if you take over this land, right, and you can physically control it, but you can't physically control the population, you don't really control anything. Um, so. They wanted to try to force them to settle down. Um, and this ended up being like a weird blurring line of, of sovereignty between Russian authorities and this Kazakh nobility, who they were... The Kazakhs were not loyal uh, to, to Russia at all, because why would they be? Uh, and they were kept in line by you know favors, bribes, and the occasional threat of violence. Um, so... The reason for this is outside of the nomads, there is also a government on the steppes via several different Muslim khanates. Uh, the most important of which was, uh, or for this story, was the, the, the Kiva khanate, or sometimes known as the Kievan khanate. It lay between the Caspian and the RLC, back when the RLC, you know, existed. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> Hit the old uh, control delete on that motherfucker, didn't you? Way to go, guys. Um, Now, Kiva and other Khanates in the area were largely made up of the same linguistic and cultural groups as the steppe tribes that were not under these government controls. There was effectively like a huge swath of land that Russia couldn't quite control. These Khanates didn't necessarily control. It was kind of just like unceded land. 
Um, and this is where the majority of these tribes lived uh, they were, uh, for parts of the year, and then they would move south. Uh, they've all these groups had intermarried and worked with each other for generations upon generations. They had close ties with each other across the board, from trade to marriage to politics, and it was super common for um, tribes in the area that Russia wanted to control to move their flocks of uh, mostly sheep south for the winter because you know winter in Central Asia fucking sucks. Uh, they they have to move their farm uh, animals around to see if they can find grass for them. And they would move them south into Kiva. And Kiva was fine with that because it's mutually beneficial to everybody. That isn't Russia. Um, because this population that they're trying to tax is leaving for the winter uh, to a place that they don't like. And of course, that becomes a serious problem um, for the Russian imperial project in the area. They wanted to control the land in the area that they claimed, but that didn't mean anything if they couldn't control the movement of the people. They wanted to break them of their nomadic ways and settle down. And the easiest comparison to this would be what America and Canada did to Native people. Uh, they forcefully settled them down you know, when they weren't busy murdering them. Uh, it was one of the things that they tried to, you know, yeah, they, I think the saying was like, kill the Indian, save the man. Yeah, and like the residential school system is similar to what we we're talking about with Russianization. Like, it's it's a thing that imperial powers do, and it works for their ends. So everyone does it. Yeah, of course. Which is why borders are evil? Migration is <laughs> fundamental human right. Yeah, these Cossacks were ahead of the curve, baby. They're like, yeah. fuck borders. I'm taking my sheep south, motherfucker. <laughs> Just make everything about Ukraine again. Their whole purpose, right, is to. Uh, enclose a population so you can be counted taxed controlled which is hard to do if you just walk away why most countries have really strong border policies because walking away means the the government gets weaker and no one wants that if you're in the government yeah and that's kind of how it was with ukraine and the caucasus as well like the the borders of the russian empire were not like a hard line it was more of here's an area that we can control more of and the further away you go from it like the more danger you are of like being attacked by Chechens or something in Ukraine. It was like the wild fields where the war is happening right now, actually, where, where it was like this weird mix of like there are Turks around and there are Cossack Ukrainians around until eventually like the empire decided to like harden up the borders and make it one state controlled thing. Yeah. I mean, uh, Armenia really didn't have borders until like the twenties. Uh, <laughs> like even under the Ottoman Empire, like Armenians would just go wherever the fuck they wanted. Um, and then, you know, they tried to fix that. But, you know, it wasn't until after the fall of the First Republic that like the Soviet Union put border controls in place. Um, and they're like, wait, you mean I can't just go over to Iran and get married? This sucks. <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean I can't yeah, do that? My family's been doing that for, for literally millennia. What, what, are you, what are you talking about? Um, now, uh, when Russia eventually had to force this uh, uh, this restriction in place, and when they tried to force it into place, wouldn't you believe it? There was a string of revolts, uh, the most notable of which is led by a guy named, guy named Kanasari Kazimov, uh, who was kind of a, 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 in a long line of uh, Kazakh resistance leaders it, who had a, a strong history of really hating Russia. I know this one from Europa Universalis Four, where Russia has like the 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 vassal state of of that guy essentially. Yeah, yeah, uh, and like you the, the Russophobia trait in in EU Four. <laughs> 
You, you can get all the other ones. I mean, it's like a Crusader Kings. You can have a kid that's like their jaws on backwards and they're like 18 feet tall and can't have children. But why not? You know, uh, the, this caused Russia to tilt harder towards the military matters. They tossed out their loose relationship with tribal leaders and this uh, and kind of allowing them to do what they wanted and made direct Russian control and the maintaining of hard borders than the new tactic. And they were reinforced with more forts and more soldiers. However, the, they didn't really do anything to try to control the rebellion because it would require them to like go out and get shot at. Uh, and Kazimov kind of became a country unto himself. He was kind of like a, a, a gigantic nomadic tribe that was formed on the fly. And he had his own independent like relations with like Kiva, with various other tribes, different Khanates. And he also he attacked Russians and the Kazakhs who became Russian subjects. Um, and the Russians truly had no answer to this constant reigning, despite the fact that the answer was go home, like just fuck off. <laughs> like that's the answer here. Uh, instead, nobles within the Russian government and the military began to get angrier and angrier as the lucrative trade routes couldn't be open because of constant raiding. Um, and, you know, the more and more Russian soldiers who are patrolling the steps kept getting connected to God's Wi-Fi via guy on horseback. Uh, a, a common refrain that the government had through their, like their nobility was, uh, you know, how can we not defeat these guys? Uh, we just beat Napoleon, like because Waterloo hadn't happened that long ago. Like, how come we can't beat these guys, but we beat Napoleon? Like, well, you didn't beat Napoleon alone, you fucking morons. So um, this would be like Alexander the first times, or it's getting there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, now, like, uh, and not to mention, there's also there. Uh, this might surprise you too, but hear me out. Russia, insanely racist. I know, I know. Don't don't act too shocked. <laughs> um, never heard, uh, never heard this proposed before. Yeah, I mean, they keep calling um, Ukrainians subhumans and saying that our language is just a debased form of their own, despite the thousands of year history. But racism, <laughs> now, Joe, that's a bridge too far. Yeah, I, I've I've officially stepped out of bounds. Like there's like any imperial project, like they have to fundamentally believe that the people that you're conquering are below you, like the less than, right? Because you you can't believe you're conquering your equal. That's not how this works. Uh, and they like there's arguments within the Russian government, like how are we losing to like people they called backward savages? Uh, and uh, like we just helped defeat Napoleon. How why is this happening? Um, and uh, not to mention, like, this is, you know, great game era stuff. So, like, people wondered how the British, an imperial power that Russia longed to, you know, eclipse, hence the great game, could control India. When they're like, they're so small. How do they control this area that's so large? We're fucking huge. And we're losing to this place as a population of like a half a million. Like, how is this happening? Uh, it's because, you know, whatever. Uh, like, not to mention, not only is dumb as shit. Like, <laughs> dumber than fuck. <laughs> They're dumb as shit. Um, and like, most importantly, like this had been going on for over a hundred years at this point. The campaign of 1839 is not the first time Russia attempted to conquer Kiva. In fact, there's a there's another incident that happened a hundred years before that might actually be dumber. Um, because like you know, they're like, how can India or how can the uh, the British Empire control India? For this long, you know, obviously there's rebellions and stuff there too, but like they don't care about that. When we have been trying to conquer Kiva for a fucking century. So, 100 years before, in about 1717, uh, a defeat happened that was so embarrassing that Russia kind of had to leave them alone. 
uh, because it became politically untenable to try to do it again. And we do have to explain what happened in 1717 because it might be an all-timer for this fucking show. Um, Prince Alexander Bekovich Cherkasy was a Russian noble who largely conducted military expeditions because uh, that was back in the era where you know the military are gentlemen science, scientists who go and write maps on top of killing the locals. But uh, he was he was helping Peter the Great keep the uh, Sarcassian people in line and happy with the Tsar. And unfortunately, you probably all know where this is leading since I said the word Sarcassian. Um, the Tsar eventually didn't sad, want sad to, things. This was happening. You, yeah, I mean, you can't you can't have an episode of the show without me referencing at least one genocide. Unfortunately, um, and you know, eventually the Tsar decided he actually he didn't want Sarcassian people in uh, in Russia anymore, and they did a genocide. Uh, add another one to the column of genocides that Russia refuses to acknowledge to this day. Um, now. Anyway, while living in Astrakhan, which is a town that sounds like if Chinggis Khan had a space program, uh, he was approached by a Turkmen trader who said that he had found unfathomable riches and the Russian government, if they threw him a little bit of money, he'd let him in on it. Like this just immediately sounds suspicious, right? <laughs> like it just totally sounds like a, a once in a lifetime business opportunity you cannot pass up. I mean, what's it going to cost you? A couple of, like, bars of gold? Give the guy his gold. Come on. 1700s Bitcoin is what we're talking about. Yeah. yeah. If you give me $20 now, I can triple it. It's like it's every guy. I don't know if this has happened to you two, but it's every weird guy from, like, your high school who you get a random Facebook message. He acts like he wants to talk to you. He's like, I actually have a business proposition for you because he's in some, like, pyramid scheme selling, uh, like, dick pills or something oh my god this happens so often after crypto became a thing like so many people are like especially in linkedin they're like hey romeo i know you're in ukraine like do you want to do you want in on this crypto option no dude i don't want in on your fucking scams i don't give a shit it's a totally legitimate internet money no you know what's legitimate internet money the fucking greenbacks the fucking greenbacks, I have my debit card. That's legitimate internet money. Yeah, my PayPal account is this legitimate internet money. <laughs> like, it's an IOU from someone I have never seen before, don't know anything about, and maybe faked and maybe stolen at any time. Yeah, I'm going to stick yeah. with, with, with real money backed by a state that has guns. Yeah, this is the world's first crypto bro. Um, though I, I have to admit, I respect this guy's hustle because this gets wildly out of hand and thousands of people die. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, the so he levels of this podcast are steadily rising. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to be fair, there's always a baseline, uh, and we just base everything off of that. Um, yeah. Now he uh, he though of course uh, Cherkasy was immediately like sold. Here's your money. Tell me where it is. Um, and he paid the, the trader said like on the Oxus River, which was he claimed diverted entirely by the Khan of Kiva or the Sultan of Kiva. It had revealed an entire field of gold. First of all, that never happened. Like <laughs> the river was never diverted. There was never well, you know any what gold. I'm picturing? What I'm picturing is if you've ever played Command and Conquer Tiberium Wars and you just yeah. like especially in the cutscenes, it just pans over the field of like the crystals or whatever this is what I'm picturing. It's <laughs> gold. This is absolutely 100%. I can guarantee you. This is what the Russian officers thought they would find. 
And the, speaking the of the ter- RLC earlier, uh, what happens when you divert rivers in Kazakhstan is that a lot of people die <laughs> and environments are destroyed, not gold. Yeah, suddenly gold appears. The 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 Turkmen guy, if like if Charkassi didn't pay him, he's like, yeah, you're right. This is more of a Shelbyville thing. You're not really ready for a monorail here in in Astrakhan. Um, so. He uh, he paid him, um, and then he immediately. Now, of course, he didn't know where this place was. So the Turkmen trader is like, "I'll show you. It's fine. In fact, I have gold. I'll I'll show you the gold." It was a bag of dirt. Like I, I don't know how else to explain it. Uh, it calls it a bag of dirt. Um, like bedazzle it so it shines a bit, or is it? I, I assume he did something. I don't know. I don't know like. And now, he put some this, like flakes of pyrite into it at least. <laughs> like, he, he has to sell the grift somehow, right? I, I I think he may have sprinkled like some gold on top, but it, again, it's a sack of fucking dirt. Um, now Charkassi is on board immediately. He goes to Prince Gagarin, who's the local governor of Astrakhan, um, and uh, Prince Gagarin is like fuck yeah, and dispatches several envoys to go look for these claims now. To everybody's shock, they return again with dirt and say, this must be the gold. And uh, But nobody tests it. Like Nobody goes through and be like, yeah, there's, there's actually no gold under this, this fucking trap on top. Nobody confirms it. So then Gagarin uh, runs to St. Petersburg. Look, I just want to say, it seems like an important step when you're like investigating claims of a new gold field to like check if there's gold. But I guess it's a sweet dirt sack, homie. Like, I, I, I mean, what's one of the problems with having nobility run everything? They don't exactly get hired to become prince because they're good at their job. Most of their family trees just look like spaghetti thrown on the wall. Like, this fucking shit's <laughs> stupid. Uh, so he runs the St. Petersburg to talk to the czar. Now, Peter the Great's in charge then. Um, and he receives Gagarin and the traitor, who at this point is shockingly still there. Like, he did not take the bag and fuck off. Like, he's like, I can't believe this is still going. Uh, that is, he had that to, is such dedication to the grift. He, he had to be speechless for how good this hustle was going over. He's like, I'm talking to the fucking czar now. God damn, these people are stupid. Um, yeah, isn't, he a God, isn't he like a sheep trader or something from the mountains? He was just some Turkman who traded with the Russians. <laughs> like, just some guy. Now I'm, now I'm having an audience with the czar himself. Talk about a like that 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 Turkmen uh, trader grind set, baby. Like if, if you if you wake up early, go down to the, your local if you're if you're in Armenia, your local uh, Russian military base, and attempt to get them to believe that dirt is gold, and see if you can get a tank out of it. <laughs> like who I, knows? I'm positive. I'm positive you can you can pull that exact scam, but you have to modernize a bit. It's got to be uranium. Mm, yeah, that's true. I could probably do you that. You think they have gun counters? I- Just bring your own or plug a dongle into your phone that'll make the phone go <laughs> and be like, you see this bag of dirt? Absolutely uranium. Just over, over there in that cave. Ignore all the wires around the entrance. It's definitely not C4 I've put around here to trap you all in and kill you. That's the sound of Nate rapidly editing that part out. (laughs) If recent history has proved anything, I could just go up to the front gate of the military base, shout loudly, and they'll just abandon everything and run. (laughs) Um, Now, Peter the Great is not generally known for being a dumb person in history. Of a field of dumb people, he's generally thought of as being a good uh, emperor, as, as much as such a thing exists. 
However, well, you know, the he thousands was thousands of Cossacks that were murdered to build St. Petersburg is a bit of an exception to that. Well, it's not <laughs> though, because to be an emperor, you generally do things like that. <laughs> yeah, like, like in in terms of like the inbred like half sapient status of the grand majority of European nobility, here was more or less sentient and could see <laughs> out of both eyes at the same time. He wasn't dribbling out piss and shit as he walked down the hallways of the Imperial Palace or anything. He wasn't like Charles II, um, having someone chew up food and spit into his mouth. He was also like seven feet tall or something. So people just in a time when everyone was like five foot three. So it, 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 it goes a while. Yeah. Um, well, at the time, Russia was locked in the Great Northern War against Sweden. And it had been going on for over a decade at this point. So Russia is poor as fuck. So he's not going to look too hard at the like, you know, this shifty guy who shows up with a bag of what he claims to be gold. He's like, yeah, sure. Fuck it. Go get his gold. Why? Why'd you come to St. Petersburg? Just go get gold. Um, now, do we know this, this um, heroic tradesman's name? We unfortunately do not. Uh, I, I he's, dub, he's I the, dub him Flim Flam. He will be the originator <laughs> of of the Flim Flam. The, the con the, the fucking uh, the con of all Flim Flam. Uh, just like the, the fucking mega chat of the steps. Um, now, so he immediately sent Prince Charkassi up, uh, is like, go fucking get this shit. Uh, and is like, and the, the, you know, they point out like, well, we're going to have to invade Kiva. Like Kiva's not going to just let us waltz into their river and steal, you know, what is apparently El Dorado. Um, and he's like, fine, whatever, take care of it. I don't care. It's like, it can't take more than 5,000 men to do, you know? So he gets 5,000 men and, um, to secure this. Um, and then there's no good ending to this. The prince and his entire army simply vanish like a fart in the wind. Nobody ever hears of them ever again. <laughs> they just, they die so thoroughly that nobody's ever been able to confirm what happens to them. Well, have you considered <laughs> that they found the gold and decided why do we want to set it, why do we want to send it back? Just we have, we have everything we need right here. Yeah, let, let's just live here in this river of gold. Yeah, like they they march directly off the pages of history. Um, some people have popped up to claim that they're survivors, but other people have popped up to claim they're survivors as well, and their stories are completely different. Um, but on the Kazakh side, there is some people that are like, "Oh no, we were there. We know what happened. Um, we killed them all." Uh, <laughs> like. <laughs> there's a couple it's like yeah we kept we kept a couple of slaves but you know we we killed everybody eventually like all right oh in case this isn't clear from us uh talking about this for the last 10 minutes the gold was not real uh there was no gold at all <laughs> are you telling me that the random turkman trader uh handing out bags of dirt was not being honest about his intentions this whole time this whole time i had my trust I had my trust king of flim flam man. I fucking this is this might be my new favorite podcast guy. Um, I, I'm in, I'm absolutely in love. I hope he ends up becoming czar somehow. I mean, considering the intellectual level of the rest of the Russian nobility, honestly, it probably wouldn't have been that hard. He would just talk them into believing he was the rightful czar. He's like, look at all the dirt that I have. <laughs> you see you this dirt? I didn't fucking think this so. This is the imperial crown. But it looks like a bunch of pebbles stuck to a twig. Yeah, that's because you're an idiot. Pavel, I am convinced we should probably kneel before this man. So, you know, 
in the end, Peter the Great has his army defeated by the king of all flimflam men. Uh, and Russia was so like fucked up by this, not to mention also the Great Northern War sapping most of their resources. They didn't respond at all. They didn't try to get revenge. They just were like, huh, I guess the prince and all of his men fucking waltzed off into nowhere. Um, now, back in the 1800s, politically, the situation had changed. Russia's borders had eked ever closer to the Kievan Khanate. Uh, and you know, sending the spending the previous hundred or so years picking at the edges of the dying Ottoman Empire, we all wish they would have done that sooner. Uh, <laughs> now, relations with, between Russia and Kiva were pretty much ruined by this point by mid 1830s because uh, Russia had outlawed all trade with them and had every merchant from the Khanate within Russia arrested. Uh, so, like, no, they were getting say, ready to do after, it again after losing five thousand men. Like, they just decided to 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 take these radical steps of not oh, this is to like anymore. over a hundred years later um they, oh, they finally see. decide that they're gonna like they've they've recovered enough to uh to like okay we're gonna go kick down their door again or try now the the main reason for that is the wrinkle of the great game between them and the british empire uh, both of them look to expand their sphere of influence directly through central asia and this of course led to the British retreat from Kabul in 1842, which uh, we did an episode about. You can go listen to it, which was honestly an all-timer in military fuck-ups. Uh, but that hadn't happened quite yet. As the Russians were sitting in 1830, the British had walked into what they considered their backyard and took over fucking Afghanistan, which isn't super far away from where Russia wants to take over too. So Russia's not very happy. And they're like, well, we, we have to do something or Russia or the, the British Empire is going to expand into Kiva, which, of course, it never did. Um, at this point, we're under Tsar uh, Nicholas I, um, who uh, was also slowly building up reasons to make this war inevitable. Uh, this obviously, this might shock you too. It's really common for a government to cook up dumb reasons to go to war uh, and cover up the fact it's merely it's the uh, soulless attempt to take over large swaths of territory. Thankfully, Russia doesn't do this anymore, right, guys? These rationalizations were mostly for internal audiences. Shocker, I know. Um, I know this might sound familiar, but again, we were talking about the 1800s. Um, and now their reasons were kind of uh, very dumb. Uh, again, it's the 1800s. Um, for starters, raiders uh, were accused of coming from the Khanate and were routinely attacking Russian caravans. Um, There's also the still uncontrolled Kazakh rebellion uh, who were, were attempting to uh, reestablish the Kazakh Khanate, which Russia accused them of helping, that being Kiva. Russia also accused them of Russian-specific slavery, which uh, they completely made Partially up. Partially true. Uh, now, no, that, that was kind of true. There was, there was some slave, slave raiding. Though there was definitely slavery. Uh, we'll, we'll talk a bit about that. Uh, for starters, there was a little bit of this that was all true. There Wait were minute, absolutely Joe, raids. Are you, are you saying that they practiced white slavery? <laughs> I, I heard that they were killing anybody who spoke Russian. Um, now, there were raids. But nobody is sure who the fuck was doing it because uh, like the, the sultan of, of the Khanate didn't exactly have a tight control of his people. And there's little to any uh, evidence that he could have stopped the raiders if he wanted to. Uh, you know, it's a free flowing nomadic population who don't like you like they're going to steal your shit. Um, now, as for the slaves. Oh, yeah, there's a ton of slavery happening in the region on both sides. Uh, but there was no uh, Khanate government policy of enslaving specifically Russians. Um, now, the numbers that the Russian government gave in its complaint were inflated to a comical degree. 
For example, the Russians claim that there were 100,000 Russian slaves within the, the Khanate, which would have been really hard given that the Khanate's entire population was maybe 600,000. Um, now, the Khanate had... Every seven people is a Russian slave, apparently. No one noticed. <laughs> yeah. all, the, all the Russians that go down to trade n- never noticed. <laughs> nope. all, the, all the guys that went into Russia never brought the trains of Russian slaves that they supposedly had with them. Yeah. Uh, there was like maybe two to 3,000 slaves that were Russian. But uh, now all of this was done to like press home the idea of how f- offensive the idea was that Russians could be pressed into slavery. Kind of like when the, the US did this to the Barbary states. Because the Kievans didn't give a fuck about who they enslaved. The vast majority of their slaves were not Russian, but were fellow Turkic or Persian Muslims. Their slavery is based on having bad luck and who got caught on raids, not your race or religion. They didn't give a fuck. And the Russians should have known about this policy because they literally did have a Turkic-specific slavery policy. Um, not to mention the serfs still were there. So, like again, like it's you're pointing at a mirror here. Like the the, the serfs won't even be free for like another twenty years in, in 1861. Um, I think projection, so, uh, is- you know, glass houses or whatever. And it was a lot slower to get to like the further east as well so like if you were a serf in what's now latvia or something that came pretty quickly but everyone else it took a few decades to get fully into right. effect uh, some some guys somewhere's like i just don't want to tell them that they're free <laughs> yeah, honestly. but that literally happened in um a number of liberated southern states um but i i just i feel like this the level of projection that all of these like imperial and reactionary powers constantly use it has to qualify at this point as like a mass psychosis of some kind because all of the bad shit that they always accuse everyone of is always things that they are right now doing like it's never like something invented it's always like we literally have this policy yeah even with like the belgian congo the reason why they said they were doing was to get rid of the arab slave trade so it's always we're going to do our own slavery in order to get rid of their slavery. Uh, w- the only thing that can stop uh, uh, a bad slavery is good slavery. Uh, signed Leopold of Belgium. Um, I mean, unironically, this is what most libertarians do believe right now. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. It's not slavery. You have a contract. It's fine. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's like, uh, you know, uh, Vasily Perovsky, uh, uh, per- Perovsky, who would end up leading or planning a lot of this uh, fully admitted that the Russians were lying. Like uh, he, he, uh, when he was like, when the the war was like really going to happen, he was like, well, there's not like, you know, that many Russian slaves there, you know, Uh, like, and to the point that uh, we'll get there, but like they try to turn some slaves back as like a good faith measure. Like, Hey, we didn't actually know you cared that much about this. Cause like you do it too. So like here you can have the Russians back and they're like, no, we don't want them. (laughs) <laughs> like what the fuck again literally literally what russia is doing right now they gave all of the like ldnr assholes russian passports that they are now not accepting as official <laughs> documentation like you gave these people citizenship uh the the panther cannot possibly eat my face uh, as i vote for the panthers who eat faces party now some of these um Excuses were also for external audiences as well. Because remember, even though everybody in this great game era and every imperial power knows exactly what they're doing, they all have bullshit excuses that they'll tell, say, like the 
king of whoever. And they're like, ah, yeah, that's a good reason to go to war. Like, that's legitimate. Like, the English had one to invade Afghanistan as well. It was to replace uh, the Shah. But like, you know, and like even the British, their main uh, geopolitical enemy at the time uh, was like, oh, yeah, that seems legit. Like yeah, they you you can't be enslaved. You're an, you're a European power. We enslave people, not the other way around. Um, now it, somehow in all of these complaints, nobody noted the time that like oh we actually tried to invade them and they butchered five thousand men. Which well, like seems like a pretty important bullet point for starting a war. Nobody brought it up. I think they may have forgotten. Um, I feel like yeah, it was memory hold. After <laughs> yeah. Peter realized that he'd literally been conned by. A guy who 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 just gave him a bag of dirt. So, like, <laughs> honestly, if I was Peter, I would have probably just told my scribes not to write that particular incident down. And this would have been the same time as like the Ukrainian uprising at Poltava, helping the Swedes and all that. Like it was a very busy time for them. So, like you said, a, a couple thousand soldiers marching off into the steps is kind of a footnote of all the other nastiness happening. Like, he's like telling his imperial scribe, like, go ahead and tear that page up and throw it in the fucking fireplace. Let's uh, let's go ahead and forget about it. Let's memory hole about 5,000 people and pretend that this didn't happen. Um, and now, the prince, right? And the prince. prince and a there. whole prince. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm sure he actually wasn't like directly related to the czar. He's probably like his fourth cousin once removed who also was married to his sister or something. I don't know. Um, now, Vasily Porovsky, who's actually a veteran of uh, the war against Napoleon and the pretty much apocalyptic battle of Borodino. Uh, now, uh, we did a series on that, too. Go listen to it. But he strongly supported the war. As the military governor of Orenburg, uh, he was in charge of the nearest Russian line to that of Kiva. So, like, this would be the stepping off point for any invasion. He made all of the normal reasons for war, which we already talked about. But uh, he also started to blame that the, that the English were uh, like controlling the Sultan. Uh, the, the English hadn't actually even gotten there yet. Uh, and, but he did point out like, hey, if we're going to do anything, we should probably do it now because the English are trapped in the first Anglo-Afghan war. So it's a pretty good time to do this. Uh, he had a, a ton of pull with the Tsar. Uh, so the Tsar was quickly on board. And uh, because uh, to be fair, it's also because Perovsky's like, this will take a couple thousand people in a month. Like this won't be that hard at all. Quick adventure in and out. Yeah, quick, quick adventure in and out. Thirty seconds tops. Um, now, war was the only thing that Russia wanted at this point, and it was pretty clear to everybody when the Khanate sent emissaries to Russia to negotiate an end to this trade ban. And what they were pretty sure was, you know, the obvious signs of a war about to be formed. They brought like Russian slaves to turn them back over um, and like apologize for the whole slavery thing. Government refused to even meet with them. Um, now. It's because by the time that the emissary showed up in 1839, they were already beyond the beginning planning stages for an offensive. Um, now, with uh, Porovsky writing out a proposal, quote, beyond its stated aims must have another still more important goal to establish and consolidate the influence of Russia in Central Asia. He goes on to say that another part of it is to combat what they perceive to be British influence. Uh, because, you know, I mean, Britain hadn't even managed to secure Afghanistan a war they would go on to lose. There isn't exactly any British uh, influence in Kiva. Uh, then he modeled the entire plan, ironically enough, on the British invasion of Afghanistan. They would, invade, they would invade, pretend they weren't taking over, and simply replace the ruler with a puppet of their choosing. In this case, being the, the Kievan Sultan's little brother, who had since moved to Russia where he was just doing opium all the time, which is like solid, good choice. 
That's what I'd do if I was a noble. Like, why work? Have to worry about like assassins, succession. When I can lie on the floor and have like slaves feed me grapes and opium. Uh, looking around for a, a proxy, like, uh, how about the guy who can't stay awake? Like, <laughs> he's nodding off in the in the imperial chamber. Let's let's make him fucking sultan. Um, this entire thing was also supposed to be a secret. But it had become obvious to the Kievans months ahead of time that the Russians are planning something due to you know, the logistics of gathering tens of thousands of horses, camels, and men. Like, huh, that looks weird. Um, I'm sorry. This is just... Have they ever used a different playbook? Like, is, is there anything in Russian history where they do something creative at least once? Because all of this, no. all of this is just... <laughs> it's, it's not even... A parallel. It's literally the exact same sequence of events occurring each and every time. Like, you know how I knew the invasion was going to happen? Because they parked a bunch of shit on the Belarusian border with Ukraine and then, like, left to the Russian bases next to the Belarusian border with Russia. Like, does it take a genius at that point to say, hmm, looks like the Russians are up to something? Like, Jesus Christ, guys, you, like, come on, innovate at least a little bit. What if I told you they also did not supply their soldiers? <laughs> <laughs> of course. Next, you're going to be telling me about the rampant ranks, uh, rampant corruption in the ranks of the officer class. Oh, yeah. Um, now, uh, there's there, the, the, how this got found out is kind of great because traders weren't allowed into Russia anymore, right? So, like the main and, and a lot of the traders would tell, you know, they were effectively the, the the rumor mill that made it back to Kiva. But Kiva had an incredibly effective uh, uh, spying. They controlled all of the brothels, and every hooker was a spy. <laughs> so they would fuck Russian officers. They would talk a little bit, and then word would get back to the Sultan and be like, "Yeah, there's definitely invasion coming." They even knew well, what day it was War coming. Out. Yeah, yeah. They I wanted to say that, that just sounds like the French approach. First, they get defeated by a guy selling them dirt, and then they get defeated by a small army of hookers. <laughs> it's fucking powerful shit, man. Um, now, uh, they also had no idea how to travel across the Kazakh steppes. So, how do they get around that? They hire Kazakh guides, all of whom hate them. They have no loyalty to Russia, and at best, they actively fucking hated them and were spies. Oh, so another parallel, parallel to American Western expansion is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just ask the natives that whose families I've been murdering for centuries... If they want to tell me how to get across that mountain range, I'm sure they'd be more than willing. Oh, yeah, motherfucker. I'll show you. All right. Let's go up the mountain. <laughs> and then they did not pay them. So like the few people who are like, OK, <laughs> fuck the Russians. But hey, a money uh, like paychecks, a paycheck. Uh, then it's like, wait, I don't even get that now. All of the guides were either spies or they would become spies. Now, it gets dumber. Pulling together these resources for what would be the largest Russian expedition across the steppe took longer than anybody that uh, was prepared for. For example, they need around 12,000 camels to haul the supplies for 5,000 soldiers, which would need hundreds of local guides and people to tend to the camels because the Russians had no idea how to do that. That shit takes time. And you just can't find that many weird lumpy horses laying around. In order to round up that many fucking camel, uh, camels, the guy that was in charge of the Russian army supply 
had to requisition literally every camel within the territory. Uh, now, obviously, some guys who need these camels for their entire lives, like that's their livelihood, they're not going to be like, oh, yes, please take my camel. So they simply did not. Uh, and then the Russians had to go out and get them, which took more and more time. And then winter approached. Now, uh, local Kazakh merchants and tradesmen quickly learned that the entire Russian mission was wholly and completely dependent on them for success, not just for camels, but their entire food supply, which, of course, meant they jacked up prices to over 1,000% of their normal price, and they effectively bankrupted Orenburg. <laughs> uh, now, it somehow gets worse. Than, I mean, that's just all around good. Like, if you're a merchant and the military is asking you for things, you should rip them off. Though, somehow, actually, for the first time, they did get winter clothing. I, I am surprised by that. But they don't have winter clothing now in the year <laughs> of our award, 2022. I mean, they just didn't have the professionalism of the Russian military of 1839. All right. So um, I, I, I plugged it into Rome to Rio to see how long it would take to get from Orenburg to Kiva, Uzbekistan. And it is presently a 42 hour train ride. <laughs> Now, now imagine you're all on camels. Oh, and yeah. it's fucking it's December. A long way. It's a long way. Um, oh, uh, so you know how they, I, I did say one nice thing. They brought winter clothing. You want to know what they did not bring? Boots. Take a wild guess. Fodder for animals? Literally any water at all. Uh, <laughs> you simply did not pack water. There, there's some desert the in steps. there. The steps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, they know what steps are, right? There's... And There's like, not a lot of water in the steppe. It's not a desert, but typically all, all you get are like little shallow, tiny rivers. And those are far and few in between in the steppes, which is a giant grassy plain that just goes on forever. <laughs> Honestly, my favorite part is their camel drivers brought their own water and they're like, these guys are dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and the, don't worry, they had a plan for that. Um, and that, I mean, there is logistical problems when it comes to hauling water, especially like way back then. Like hauling water is really hard. Um, normally, you would simply not do this uh, military campaign. But uh, Porovsky's plan was, well, it's going to snow a lot. We're going to go in the winter. They could simply eat snow. That was that was his fucking that's, brilliant plan. That's not how snow works. If you're listening right now, as a survival tip, don't do that. You'll dehydrate. It's very, <laughs> very bad. You can collect and melt snow, right? It just takes a no, lot of it. It's like distilled or something like there's some stuff in it that you're supposed to have when you drink water that you don't get from snow. So like, it's a, considered a very, very bad idea. Now, there's a lot of problems with this plan, most, most of which I'm going to go on a limb here. You can pretty easily see. Um, the first of which is that... Uh, uh, remember, this is a guy who fought Napoleon's invading army, and now he is an invading army in winter. He watched Napoleon's uh, grand army freeze to death, and now uh, he's just like, ah, but we're see, we're we're just built different. We'll be fine. Um, but another problem the here: Russian I'm not plus a camel guy. Cold resistance. <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not a camel guy. I don't. I don't know a lot about camels. Did you know? This might blow your mind. Camels not good at winter. They're they're not a winter animal. Um, and to be fair, General uh, 
Ivanin, uh, Ivanin, uh, the the guy in charge of requisitioning supplies, knew that and is like, why don't we use horses? Quote: Camels cannot endure cold, dampness, and wet, and thus are kept in the southern part of the steppe. We should not use them. Of course, they use that them anyway. Like a, a, a well, what? Actually, why not use horses? The place you're invading is literally Kane, right? It was founded by guys on horseback. Well, the other mean, side of the Eurasian continent. Well, camels are a bit more just- durable under normal circumstances where they can do that. They can carry more stuff. Like they a camel's not a bad idea. Precisely. Like there was a U.S. camel winter, corps for a while. Oh yeah, it was pretty much only canceled because of the Civil War. Um, because like they passed all of their field tests and like, oh, can't use those for these. Bye bye. And they like release them into the desert. Um. Now, like the the Kazakh camel drivers themselves were like, "Yeah, you guys shouldn't do this. This like you're gonna kill everybody and also our camels that you stole." Uh, to that, Avinin uh, 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 said, "Quote: They are Asiatics, unworthy of confidence. They have inclinations of deceit, and in no degree can they be relied upon." So we're gonna go ahead and kill everybody. So the basic via camel. Russian insult is ba- is to like just like f- make everyone anti-semitic like it just sounds like the exact same things they say about jews oh yeah literally the exact same things they're deceitful shifty and cowardly it's like come on guys at least assign some different negative traits the the kazakhs control all of the media in the russian empire Um, I mean, they now, did control all the whorehouses, right? That's close <laughs> apparently, enough. Yeah. Now, that's a hustle we can all support. As preparations wore on, it became clear uh, that uh, this winter was going to be not just bad, but like historically bad. And uh, a Kazakh guide wrote a letter to his wife that ended with, quote, pray for the camels. <laughs> uh, uh, another problem is uh, the soldiers that they're taking because I haven't gotten there yet. None of them had ever been on a campaign before, other than like a couple officers. These were like these were all super like fresh soldiers who had never done any like hard training. Um, they weren't seasoned at all. They're all pretty weak. Uh, but the war started officially when Ala Kali Khan, uh, the leader of Kiva, dispatched a force of cavalry to raid a forward garrison of Russian soldiers who had been put out there months before with the idea that. Uh, um, the the Russians were going to link up with them, but they had simply never shown up. So there's 130 guys just left out in the middle of nowhere, and uh, they got raided. I mean, it wasn't that bad. Uh, the, like I believe five Russians died. Uh, and oh, by the way, the five Russians that die in this raid are the only five that die from gunfire the entire time. Um, oh. That, that's an interesting prelude to this story then. Oh, yeah. Um, and it, after the raid, the entire thing was blamed on the camel drivers and the guides because like uh, you were spying. You told them that we were coming, which is like impossible. It's 1839. It's not like they fucking shot him a text message or something. Um, but it, when it was time for the main advance, I guess to start off, I should tell you what their plan was and we can talk about how it went. Starting at Oranberg. Uh, they would go south to Fort Emba, refit, go south again to Fort uh, Akbulak, and from there they would gear up for the longest haul and invade Kiva itself, which was effectively an oasis surrounded by hundreds of miles of barren steppe in every direction. For the last several months, forward garrisons have been sent to these two forward forts to set up a, a temporary supply depot, mow grass, uh, feed 
and uh, and and stockpile it all uh, because the mowing the grass for the camels and the horses. Uh, because since they were traveling in winter, there would be no grass growing beyond uh, beyond Akbulak, their second stopping point. So they had to harvest it all beforehand. There'd be nothing else. Uh, everything would everything they would need beyond that would have to be carried by the camels. By the time the main columns of men stepped off, the snowdrifts were already so high it made movement and it just walking forward a pain in the ass from the mostly infantry arm, uh, based army. And the temperature had dropped to minus 38 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, so then the camel drivers and guides hearing about uh, uh, the that raid um, uh, it, that turned into from uh, an isolated raid to what they believed via the rumor mill to be a massive Kievan uh, army that was just raiding its way across the, the Russian military. So uh, this led to the camel drivers and the guides simply refusing to move. They're like, you know, you guys are like, there's there's an enemy army out there. We're not fucking going anywhere. Uh, we're staying right here behind this fort. So the Russian commander Petrovsky simply ordered all of the the ringleaders of this kind of sort of strike to be shot. And then, of course, after dealing with that, they went back to work. It would have, like, you know, they didn't want to get shot. Um, but rather than trying to figure out why this happened and like you controlling the rumor mill or whatever, they blamed it on Islamic fanaticism. In order to control that, they shot the mullah, uh, which that's not going to make you popular. No, not at all. Again, the Russians are just not a creative people. <laughs> How can I solve this problem with this gun? Um, like, I feel like we've been blaming Islam for a lot of things that it doesn't deserve blame for, but there's snow on the grass doesn't seem like a, a particularly Islamic trait. No, yeah, like uh, I. I it's it's very clearly like everyone was telling them uh, that this is a very bad idea. Like, well, you only think that because you're a Muslim. Like, well, no, I think that because it's 38 degrees below zero, you fucking idiot. Like, maybe we shouldn't be outside. Um, no, we are Russian. Snow uh, is nothing. Uh, now, within weeks, uh, it was January, and it became abundantly clear that the camel drivers knew more about camels than the Russian nobility, because who would have thought? The cold air, the wetness, and the all-around horrific winter temperatures had rendered the camels so tired they could barely move. Uh, Petrovsky noted that, quote, The camels cannot suddenly perish. We may lose a third on the way or half, but we will carry on until the last. And this is... And they by suddenly the way, perish, Joe? Did, did they all perish oh, suddenly? <laughs> oh, oh, they sure do. Uh, now, by this point, they had gotten to Akbolak, which is still just the last staging point. They have yet to actually set out towards Kiva. Now, oh, there's uh, there's a, there's a couple um, probably at this point a couple hundred dead from from temperature. Uh, thousands of camels though, but we'll get there. Uh, now, three days later, he figured out that ooh no, I was really wrong. We should probably turn around. Uh, and they they turned around and went to Fort Emba, which is the second staging point or the first staging point after Orenburg. This wasn't supposed to be an all-out retreat. Instead, it was assumed they would go there, wait for the weather to break, turn around, and, and reinvade. And it would only take a couple weeks. Uh, but at this point, thousands of camels were fucking dead, which Petrovsky blamed on the Kazakhs for supplying them with sick animals and not the fact that he was marching through a goddamn blizzard. Well, I'm sure they were sick at some point. Yeah, I, I, wonder, I, I do wonder how they got sick. 
like uh, no, this is their natural state of being. They were already sick. Um, they cannot be helped. Now, as they attempted to retreat to Fort Emba, hundreds more became so weak they couldn't move, so they're just left behind. Uh, the ones that uh, the dry the camel drivers were able to get moving uh, were now super weak. Uh, so, so at this point. Of the original 10,400 camels that they were able to get, which was not enough camels they, that they needed, only 700 were considered healthy. A lot of them were just dead. Uh, and this creates what I call the patented feedback loop of doom. So remember, the camels were carrying all of their supplies, literally all of their supplies. As the camels died, fewer and fewer supplies could be carried along with them. Or what generally happened, because Russian soldiers don't know the first fucking thing about camels, you know, either do I, for that matter, uh, they would unload supplies from the dead camels and put them on to the healthy ones. This would bog them down with more and more weight, make them weaker, faster, and then they would also die. And they just did this over and over again. And just so the leaving book that a trail to, of dead and dying camels behind them yeah, everywhere they go. It's the, the and, world's most horrific breadcrumbs. I don't know if this would be like in your sources, but I'm thinking wolves. Kazakhstan has a lot of wolves, and that seems like wolf bait. I'm willing to bet that a lot of those uh, camels definitely became wolf food, especially the ones that fell behind. Now, the book I used for this source, which is The Russian Conquest of Central Asia, A Study in Imperial Expansion, 1814 to 1914, gives this episode one of the most horrific titles I think I've ever read in my life. It dubs us the, the quote camel holocaust. <laughs> like, oh my <laughs> god, poor camels. <laughs> Never forget. Jesus fucking Christ. Now, misery was not only felt for the camels. The men, despite their layers of winter coats, pretty much everybody had about the Russian soldiers, but the camels, holy shit. Uh, uh, pretty much every soldier had some form of frostbite. Uh, of the original forest well, of twenty nine, cut a camel open and like jump in like as a tauntaun or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're invading Hoth, bitches. Um, now of the original force of two thousand nine hundred and thirty infantry, four hundred were dead. Probably double that were sick or injured, and everybody had some form of frostbite. Uh, in the letters that he wrote, Petrovsky insisted that the Kazakhs had duped them, and the winter was still only uh, uh, the only time that this mission could be undertaken on the kind of men needing the snow to drink water, sticking to his guns, which is an interesting theory by a man who had messed up such a basic concept as humans need water to live. Oh, also, they didn't pack any fruit, so everybody else had scurvy. Their teeth were falling out. But they knew scurvy existed by this point, right? Like the age of exploration. They sure did. Had come yeah. and passed. Like yeah. people learned that you you need to eat a lemon sometimes. I mean, they, I mean, people also knew if you didn't drink water, you'd fucking die. So while hunkered down at Emba, Petrovsky sent a supply request back to Orenburg for ships to sail into the Caspian from Astrakhan to Nova Alex with replacement camels. Where they found more camels, I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, why didn't they just sail down in the first place? I don't know. Picture this map because they controlled the other side of the Caspian. There's boats. Kiva's not that far away from the Why Caspian. Why didn't they just coast. sail down and then go? I have further? no idea. This I was thinking so many the same more thing when I was researching this. Like I've looked at the map. I'm like, well, that's stupid. Why would you march? 
Like, but the Russians said it themselves. They beat Napoleon, right? And they know that m- the grand majority of Napoleon's force died because of shitty weapons and poor <laughs> logistics. Like, what? I'm trying to figure the layout of this. So, Akbalak, like the city that's currently in Kazakhstan, or is there probably some other thing called Akbalak? Um, it was a fort called Akbalak. I don't know if the fort turned into the city. Okay, because the um, city I, honestly, is looks like it's quite a long ways away so i'm really curious oh, to is. see yeah. the like the route of this in map format to because uh, i'm well, having trouble processing beyond Akbalak, uh so that's probably why like if, if you look yeah, at no, wait, their at their haven't actually gotten to combat with anyone right yeah they're still at this Fort is all the pre-combat phase yeah they've they they got in a brief raid where five russian soldiers were shot that is it hundreds have died from frostbite since then also, also camel holocaust I, I, I cannot in good faith name this episode the Camel Holocaust, but I'm getting close to it. Now, there was going to be like medicine. There's going to be soldiers. There's going to be more camels, uh, all this stuff on these supply boats. Um, uh, and uh, I assume fruit at some point, if anybody even has teeth left. I don't know. Uh, but the weather didn't get better. In February, a scouting mission had sent uh, had been sent 100 miles south to, to plot their, their route to Kiva. And everybody's like, uh, there's actually the snow's even deeper down here. Um, we, we probably shouldn't go. It got so cold that men could no longer wash themselves or change their clothes. Their, their, their clothes literally fro- froze to their body. Uh, people began burning what supplies they had left for warmth because there's literally nothing else to burn. Um, and, you know, uh, Emba and Akbalak were both meant to be garrisoned temporarily. So when they went back to, to Emba, there's no supplies there for them. Like there's not a there's not enough supplies there for this entire fucking army. And it's winter, men can't forage. However, on the bright spot, you have plenty of camel meat laying around. So I guess you have you have to fist fight a wolf over a fucking camel cutlet. When word finally got to Petrovsky the supply the uh, about the supply ships, it was bad news. Due to the uh, there's really bad wind in the Caspian, and the ships had to be delayed. And then they were delayed for so long they got stuck in ice. <laughs> they got frozen in place. Uh, now some ships are actually close enough to the shore that they could be offloaded, and then others were attacked by the cavalry of Kiva and set on fire. Uh, they were frozen in place and were attacked At by horses. More. Yeah, at least it's warm. Just a, a Russian sailor saying, "Like we could be worse," as he's on fire. <laughs> and again, this this campaign had to occur in that season. It couldn't be delayed until the warm season. Couldn't, no, couldn't, couldn't, there's there's no summer snow for my soldiers to drink. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta say, the guy's consistent. <laughs> Uh, at this point, the camel drivers got pissed, gave the camels to some lo- gave the camels that they did manage to get off the ships to some locals and just walked off. Uh, they just they just walked off the, the workplace. Um, Petrovsky surrounded by dying and sick soldiers. And I assume who are all spitting teeth out like chiclets from scurvy and smelling like shit because they haven't had a shower in three months, finally decided that he didn't think that they were going to be able to invade Kiva. And the offensive was called off. However, it's February. Um, you can't just turn around and go home. You have to wait for winter to break. So with their mission over, the men sat around bleeding and stinking like shit, dropping their toes and gumming on mountains of dead camels until 
fucking June before they are finally able to walk home. And again, they didn't sail home. They walked. Yeah. Yeah. They had to walk. Of the original <laughs> 5,000 soldiers on the mission, 1,000 died, five of whom were from combat. Uh, thousands more are sick or injured, and nobody's entirely sure of like how many were like brutally incapacitated from frostbite. Um, though it's estimated to be at least 600. And unfortunately, nobody kept track of how many Kazakh guides died, but it's thought to be a lot. The animal losses were kind of otherworldly. 10,000 horses had died and close to 15,000 camels. This actually created a problem in the critical camel shortage of the entire territory of Orenburg. Um, like now, these camels and the horses were the main mechanism for movement of trade caravans and like, you know, the main economic driver, which caused a regional depression because nobody could fucking trade stuff anymore because they had no camels. Also, the thousands of dead soldiers impacted the local economy because their paychecks. Now, obviously, this is where I tell you how, uh, you know, Petrovsky lost his job or was banished to Siberia until he retired or something. However, showing just how little the Tsar cared about it, this fuck up, he kept his job and was later reappointed to the military governor of Orenburg. Uh, like, just like last time, feeding the army to the steppe made the Russians take a little bit of pause to subjugate the Kiva Khanate for a few decades. However, the little Khanate that could fell in 1873 and pretty much gave up without a fight, remaining an imperial protect- protectorate until the Russian Revolution, where in 1924, it was turned into parts of Uzbekistan and Turkmenistan. And that is the Kievan campaign of 1839, or the, the great camel hustle of 1839. I'm not really sure what to call it yet. All right. Uh, so guys, we do something on the show called Question from the Legion, where if someone uh, wants to, they write into the show and they ask us a question. If you're listening and you want to ask us a question from the Legion, you can donate a, a whole dollar to the show and ask us on Patreon. And eventually, while working our way down this incredibly long list that we have, we'll ask the question. Um, and there, there are there, so today's question is: What is the most ridiculous weapon that you believe was ever created? The most ridiculous weapon. Um, it's got to be the what is it called? Like the Chikram or Chikram, the like bladed disc thing that Xena Warrior Princess threw around. <laughs> that, was that really used by someone? I'm pretty sure Chikram. I, like I want to say the. The belt sword, like the sword that was flexible enough to like be hidden inside of a belt. Yeah, the belt sword just didn't seem especially. When you it just like be flopping around and like you like slap yourself a few times. I never quite understood the the practicality of that one. Or I don't know. There's some <laughs> weird stuff in like the Chinese martial arts that doesn't seem like it was actually made to do anything, just made to look cool, like the meteor hammer or something like that, where it just. I might get I might get shit on this for for shit on for this take, but uh, I don't think nunchucks are are good weapons. I don't think they're actually a weapon. Like I think they're mostly invented for like Hollywood and shit. Like I don't think that's an actual weapon that anybody used. Uh, I, I personally I really like the uh, oh, going off the chakram. A related weapon is the shakri dong, uh, which is <laughs> a bamboo staff with a really cool name. Um, I think the dumbest or the most ridiculous weapon that I think I saw is have you ever heard of the puckle gun? The puckle no, no. The puckle gun. 
So I've always wanted to do an episode on it, but there's really not a mu- a lot to write about it because like they built like two of them, um, and the idea was it could fire two different kinds of ammunition: regular musket balls for when you were shooting at white people, and square bullets for when you were shooting at Turks. Um, with the idea that the square bullets hurt more, and like they clearly didn't understand the concepts of like ballistics at all. <laughs> yeah, you think we just like start <laughs> shooting off all in all different directions. Well, there's a lot of weird ones, like weird 19th century guns, particularly where like they had reached the point where they could shoot things faster, but hadn't quite figured out what that meant yet. So there'd be like machine, like weird like pistols that were kind of like Gatling gun pistols and yeah, just trying to sort out that like technology. The, the, the knife, the, the knife revolver that was like, had like a handle that looked like brass knuckles and like a, 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 a twisty knife that you could, you could punch stab shoot someone. Yeah, it was a knife that you, you punch you, you into someone. Then once it like put back a spring it would then shoot them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like playing final fantasy is the fucking gun blade. Like the, fucking thing doesn't even shoot what's the point god damn it <laughs> yes i'm still mad about final fantasy 8 anyway uh gentlemen thank you so much for coming vibrated. on the show today and that's what it was it was it shot a bullet into the gun that would cause it to vibrate and by vibrating it would cause more damage that was the final fantasy what's the point of that you, you made a sword shaped fucking sex toy that you hit monsters with if you want to think of it cooler, think of it as like a chainsword, but it only activated by squeezing a revolver trigger. But the chainsword has an actual chainsaw attached to it. <laughs> it would be like, no, it's a chainsword, which means it's a sword with a small, like two stroke engine attached to it that vibrates exactly. it around a bit. Exactly. <laughs> but no blades, no blades at all. No. Um, Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Uh, this is the area where you plug your show. Plug. Plug away. Well, uh, Anthony and I are the co-hosts of a little podcast called Ukraine Without Hype, where we talk about the latest headlines in Ukraine and the region. Like, you know, the ongoing, two ongoing wars now, though. We haven't talked about the new ongoing war, just just the one for now. But if you want to know about that war, you can listen to us and we talk about it. And sometimes we say things that are kind of smart. What do you think, Anthony? Yeah, I like leading up to the war, like a year before this version of the war started out, the Russians were doing a like a like a mock run of it. And we had an episode where we said, well, they haven't invaded right now. But if they did, this is what they would do. And they, they did everything that we said, except for amphibious landings. I thought there'd be more amphibious landings. I think that was the only place where we were wrong. Uh, so yeah, listen to Ukraine without hype. Yeah, but we got pretty much everything else right. We got everything else right. But yeah, I accidentally said something similar during our Chechen war series when I was kind of comparing them to the current conflict because this is before the the uh, the invasion in 2022. And I was like, you know, this is kind of like what they did in 2014 in Ukraine. Uh, but if they like attempted to drive tanks directly into Kiev. But that hasn't happened oh, yet. No. And that episode came out like three years ago. And I completely forgot that I said that. And then as soon as the fucking war started, I'm just like, like, Joe, you need to stop fucking talking about the shit on your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if there's anything I've learned from um, this particular episode of Lions Led by Donkeys, it's that I can just look at what the Russians have done and just assume that they're going to do that exact same thing every single time. Because I don't, I don't see anything countering that theory. I can just 
say they're going to do this thing the exact same way they did it before. And it seems I'm going to get it right every single time. I strongly disagree with the idea that history repeats itself. However, it often rhymes. Uh, and sometimes it rhymes very, very, it rhymes in very, very stupid History doesn't ways. repeat itself, but Russian military doctrine definitely does. It hasn't changed since 1717, apparently. So um, on top of Ukraine Without Hype, we both also do plenty of other journalism stuff in Ukraine. So uh, Novovremia, NV, English, Google that. Um, I also recently produced a podcast for the Kiev Independent, which I'm sure if anyone's following the war in Ukraine, you've probably heard of the Kiev Independent. The um, Their podcast series, Did the War End? I thought it was quite well done. It was a 11-episode series that is now concluded, so we can go listen to that as well. Good. Yeah, go listen to that. And everybody, thank you so much for supporting the show. If you like what we do here, consider supporting us on Patreon. Or don't. It's your money. Do with it what you please. However, leaving us a review is free uh, and it helps us through algorithmic based ways that I don't completely understand. Um, gentlemen, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, and until next time, if you're going to take a long hike, bring water. <laughs>